Welcome back to the Materials Performance Interview Series. My name is Ben Dubose, and I'm a staff writer with MP. On today's show, I'm joined by Travis Parigi, CEO and founder of Liquid Frameworks, to discuss the shortage of skilled tech workers in industries like corrosion mitigation, as well as to provide a general overview of what companies can potentially do to improve the situation now that we're heading into 2022. Based in Houston, Liquid Frameworks offers automation software packages to companies with a mobile workforce across the industrial landscape. Travis, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Ben. I certainly appreciate being on the show today. Thanks a bunch. Excited to talk to you. Absolutely. Excited to get you on. And to give our listeners an idea of the scope of our discussion, there was a recent Ernst & Young survey that showed that about 50% of oil and gas executives believe that their current workforce simply does not have the skills to fully adopt new technologies. Making matters worse, just 3% said their company is good at teaching those in-demand skills. The oil and gas field, of course, is often intertwined with our corrosion industry for better or for worse. According to the report, there's a higher demand for the advanced technical skills that can help workers adapt to change, such as incorporating more digital and technical systems, things of that nature. And there's also a demand for skills that help companies tackle cultural barriers. As a result, the report concludes the companies should invest in not only cutting edge technology for their operations, but also internally in their workers. Through learning management systems, training and tools that streamline processes, employers can upskill their workforce and the industry into a culture of evolution. That's where Travis comes into play. Travis has many years of hands-on, high-level experience that gives him some unique knowledge on this skills deficit, and he's here to explain how field technology and a push for technical training can help workers to evolve and to digitally transform. So, uh, Travis, with that in mind, I think a good place to start, just give our listeners a little bit of your personal story, your background, and what it is that makes you somewhat of an expert on this subject. Oh, sure, absolutely. I started building software when I was very young. I found that I had a deep passion for it and just really enjoyed uh, programming the computer to get it to do what I wanted to do and started writing software for small businesses and ended up with a computer engineering degree from A&M and eventually went to work in the consulting space, developing custom software solutions for a variety of energy companies, many of which are here in Houston, Texas, and ultimately ended up starting a software company that served the oil and gas service provider space in 2005. Our de facto mission was to be uh, the standard for field service management software in the upstream and downstream oil and gas service provider space. And we've been building this uh, software package since 05 and took about two years to build the first generation and have continually upgraded it and built new generations and versions of it since then. We're on generation number five right now. And um, so on the Salesforce platform, which is a great technology platform and my, my background is development. So I've been uh, developing software since I was very young and just still continue to be heavily involved in the development of the field service management package that we deliver to the oil field space that we call field effects. So I've seen a lot in the space. I've seen a lot in the oil field service provider space. I've interacted with hundreds of companies from small ones to the world's largest ones. In fact, Slumberger was a customer of mine when I started a consulting business prior to this business uh, back in 2001. And so I had the opportunity to see how the world's um, largest oil field service provider uh, works and performs and 
and all sorts of companies in between. So um, been out to the well sites and to refinery sites and, and watch field workers do their work and have used that knowledge and information to create the field service management package that we have today. And um, it's offered me a lot of opportunity just to see what goes on in the oil field. I have a tremendous amount of respect for what the field workers in particular do out there. It's, it's really incredible. And, and there definitely is a labor shortage right now with both field workers and back office and the oil and gas industry certainly has a little bit of a problem to solve here in the near term future. So give us some data about the skills deficit. What are some of the specific areas that are lacking from what you've read and the research that you've done? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I see it every day. I mean, we follow this information closely. Uh, it's very important for our business here because uh, the way that we uh, roll our software out is, is to field workers. And so we track these numbers very closely. So if I zoom out and kind of look at a macro perspective of what has taken place, you can see today that employment in the U.S. for oil field services is still off by about 130,000 jobs. And what, I'm, what I mean when I say it's off, if I go back to, let's say, June 2019, so pre-pandemic numbers, mm -hmm. that number of people employed in the U.S. for oil field services was right at about 780,000 people. So today we sit at about 650,000 jobs our employed uh, employment level in upstream OFS. But the thing that's interesting about that is that oil consumption will return to pre-pandemic levels by this summer, and it will really exceed it by the end of this year. And so we really need to see that production pick up, and we really need to see uh, more field workers re-enter re the space, so come back to the space because of the shortage that's out there. I mean, we, we need those people to do drilling work, completion work, wireline formation evaluation. I mean, all those different types of technical skill sets uh, that need to be done at the well site and the refinery site. Same is true for the downstream space. You know, we really need to see those things uh, come back to the space. But it certainly is technical people in the field, but it's also back office people that are uh, of a technical nature, specifically development. And so if you look at software development, for instance, um, yes, we build the field effects software development package for our customers, but they still end up having technical talent on staff that they have to have in order to run it and maintain it and administer it. And so we, we really need to see those types of folks um, get re-recruited back into the space as well. So it's really the field and it's the back office that, um, that we see shortages in right now. When you drill down into the micro of this, are there any differences by region, education levels, types of jobs? Just when you look at this on a more granular level, is there anything specific that stands out or is this fairly broad-based? Well, I mean, it's predominantly in the field. And so when I say in the field, I'm talking about the, the talent, the workers that are working at the well site, they're working mm -hmm. at the refinery site. I mean, these are people that are doing drilling jobs, they're doing wireline jobs, they're doing uh, pressure pumping jobs, cementation, they're doing completion jobs, production work, water hauling fluids management. I mean, it's primarily that. I mean, I, we typically look at a ratio of about seven to one field workers to back office workers. And so you see it heavily in the field, but I don't, I don't wanna minimize the impact that it's having on the back office personnel as well. So, um, 
earlier we were speaking about just software developers and, and it certainly is seen there. And you have to ask yourself why this is taking place too. I think that's an important question to ask. We, we see the shortage, but it, it shouldn't be glazed over as to the why. Um, and there's all sorts of reasons, everything from competition for talent on a global basis, uh, certainly with, within the tech industry, we see that. And I know that our customers in the oil field are experiencing the same thing. Uh, competition within the other industries as well. So there's a variety of reasons as to, to why it's taking place. But I think in general, uh, you see it predominantly with field workers um, in some respects the back office. So what are some of the things that companies can do to address that? What specific programs or maybe that's a little specific or just general types of things should they be looking into to invest in this and potentially improve the situation? Sure, yeah, yeah. So there's a couple things that they can do and there are some things that they're already doing. And I'll just hit the, what they're already doing, but I think it's important to, to understand why they're doing these things um, in response to what's taking place. And the oil and gas industry, I'll just back up just a second, but the oil and gas industry, as you and the listeners know, it's a very cyclical industry. It's tied to a commodity oil that fluctuates significantly based upon demand for that commodity. And right now we see pricing on an uptick. So you can see WTI and Brent are trading around $80 a barrel right now. And that's, that's a great price. I mean, companies can, can make money at that uh, level and, and even a little bit less than that. And so we're certainly right at the top end of what we call the sweet spot for the price. But as you've seen in the past, and recently as April and May of last year, I'm sorry, 2020, um, over a year ago now, you can see that price and demand fall rapidly. And that causes these big cycles in the oil and gas space. And when those down cycles come, a lot of times, not a lot of times, but historically all the time, field workers typically bear the brunt of those labor reductions. And, and so over time, I think a lot of people in the space have, have grown weary of those types of cycles. And so where we've seen over 150,000 jobs lost in space in 2020, there are a lot of people that have said, you know what, I, I just, I can't really deal with that type of cyclicality in the space. And so they've moved on to other industries. Uh, they've, see, they've sought employment elsewhere. And, and so the oil and gas industry has some work to do to recapture those workers and one of the things that you see them doing right now that i think should bode well for them and help in their recruiting efforts is you see emp companies moving away from what they've historically done in a high price high demand environment for oil and historically you've seen them produce heavily you've seen them lever their balance sheets um, and go out and borrow money and buy more or lease more assets should i say when i say assets i'm talking about oil and gas properties and drill more, complete more, and produce more. And it's because the old adage, make hay while the sun is shining. Well, what you see in a down cycle is when that happens, they obviously end up producing labor. Well, what they're doing now, this is probably one of the first times in history that we've seen this in oil and gas space. The response is very different in this case. What they're doing is they're paying down debt, so they're delevering their balance sheets, they're paying back investors, they're reinvesting in the business in terms of research and development, but what they're not necessarily doing is going out and borrowing a whole ton of money and drilling like crazy and hiring a whole ton of people and on these hockey stick growth paths. So 
the companies are being rewarded for this. EMP companies are being rewarded for this. And I think that what this may uh, end up resulting in is maybe dampening the cyclicality a little bit where possibly you don't see this massive swing to the upside and massive swing to the downside where uh, labor bears the brunt of that. So, I mean, that's one thing that I think could be a positive result that they're doing that could attract talent. Other things that they can do are a little bit more uh, tactical, not nearly as financially oriented, but you mentioned earlier LMS, so learning management systems. To me, I, I feel like having a modern, highly produced set of content that can ramp up new employees and onboard people in a more expeditious fashion, a more efficient fashion, I think that's a great way uh, to get people invigorated. I think that giving them the tools that they need from a software perspective that allows them to do their job with modern tools out there instead of things like Excel and and pre-printed paper forms. I mean, who wants to go fill out a, a two, three page field ticket at the end of the day that documents all the people and equipment that were on site and all the services that were performed if you got to go handwrite all that stuff on some pre-printed form? And that's that's kind of a pain to go through and do that. Not to mention it's not nearly as accurate and you can't get a lot of the automation efficiencies that you can if you have an electronic process. And believe it or not, we see a lot of that in the old field still. We see a lot of Mm -hmm. Uh, paper out there in the field. The technology they send down the hole is incredible, but there is still a lot of manual processes out there. So I think giving giving uh, the workforce the digital tools that they have come to expect in all other aspects of their life is, is a very attractive thing for the workforce. I mean, the workforce in the oil and gas space, um, the demographic is shifting. Um, we've been going through the great crew change for a number of years now, but uh, you certainly see a younger group of people coming into the mix and you really have to cater to those, uh, to that demographic in the sense of LMS and digital tools and things that they're using in other aspects of their life. And frankly, that they're getting at other companies that mm-hmm. are competing for that talent. So beyond just the current workforce, what are the ways that that can be addressed for the next generation? What are things that employers can potentially do from the standpoint of, you know, working with universities, technical schools, for us in the corrosion industry, that comes up a lot in terms of having a better relationship at the university level and trying to get that specialized knowledge at, you know, a much younger point in the, um, in the chain. What are some of the perhaps training protocols that could be put into place as we try and gear up these workers for their eventual hires? Yeah, I mean, I certainly think uh, LMS is an important aspect of that that we spoke about, but investing in college programs, I think, is a great thing. I mean, there's a great uh, petroleum engineering school at AM where I went, and you see a lot of oil and gas companies that invested in, in that petroleum engineering school decades ago. I mean, I can remember uh, being in school back in the 90s there, and they were investing like crazy. And so continuing to invest in that and, and bringing those programs uh, up to speed with modern tools and technologies that are used out in the field today, uh, I think that's just that's a great, a great place to start, um, certainly, and, and other things that can be done within the ENP companies and the OFS companies today as it relates to different types of apps that they give their Uh, give their users that these younger generations have come to expect. I mean, they're coming out of school using these things already. They they need to transition smoothly 
into tools that are not Excel-based and, and not Office-type-based uh, software, but actually smooth, nice, modern digital tools. I think there's probably a lot of people listening that hear what you're saying and say, or, or thinking, look, this makes perfect sense. Why isn't this already happening? What do you think are the reasons why some of these priorities haven't really been implemented? And you know, what's the ideal strategy to sort of change the attitudes at the higher levels of the industry? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. It's a great observation. Uh, so I'll tell you story. I mean, I've been in this space since 2005 when, when I started uh, Liquid Frameworks and, and built the first product and had it ready to go in 2007. And when we were walking that around to different oil and gas service providers, the real big hype at the time was really e-invoicing. And mm -hmm. so a lot of resources were being pulled in, poured into electronic invoicing and electronic field ticketing and electronic forms in the field and electronic schedules and dispatching software. It really wasn't in vogue at the time. And so I spent a lot of time trying to get traction around that. And it seemed like the attention span was really focused more um, on invoicing and ERP at the time. And so I think that the oil and gas industry has been a little bit lagging when it comes to adopting this technology. And in some of the early cases where we were able to get traction in, let's say, pre-2011, 2012 timeframe, what I saw is that you would get traction with a company and things would be going well, and then you would see a down cycle come in the oil and gas space. So 2008 hit, for instance. And a lot of times technology projects were some of the first to get cut in scenarios like that. I certainly saw that at some of the larger companies that I was doing work for at the time. And I think that just, it sets the initiative back uh, significantly. You, you can make you know, six months, nine months worth of progress and then the initiative gets cut and you've got to revamp and, and get it going again. And so it's just historically those kind of projects have been have been cut uh, when times get land in space. But I would say over the last oh, seven or eight years, that has, has changed fairly significantly in that oil field service providers, energy companies in general are truly seeing the vision and the benefit, the ROI that digital transformation can make. And so it's turned out to be a great thing for field effects and liquid frameworks because we're really the cornerstone of digital transformation at any oil field service provider. Um, but it's it's certainly changing. The pendulum has has shifted now, and companies are seeing the value. And really, a lot of it too is that the ENP companies are demanding it. So the producers are saying, "Hey, we we want you to do business electronically, and we want to engage with you in a more digital fashion." So they're a lot of the motivator uh, behind it in some cases. So that that certainly helps uh, as well. So I, I definitely think times are are changing now. So for anyone that wants to learn more from you about this or Liquid Frameworks, how can they do that? Just tell our listeners where they can find out more information from you guys. Yeah, certainly. So we do a, a great user conference every year in April called ConnectFX. And we have all of our customers and different people from the market. It's kind of the who's who each year that we put on. So we'll be doing it live this year. We were, uh, we were live this most recent year and we were virtually the first uh, previous year in 2020. So 
that comes up in April. Super excited about that. And uh, certainly you can, you can follow me personally on Twitter, T Parigi, T-P-A-R-I-G-I. And uh, you can certainly follow ServiceMax as well. ServiceMax recently acquired local frameworks. So you can certainly uh, follow us on Twitter and, uh, and LinkedIn as well. I'm always on LinkedIn. Sounds good. Thank you so much for the time. And on our end, of course, you can follow us at materialsperformance.com and on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever your social media outlet of choice is, you can find us. Again, for Travis Parigi, I'm Ben Dubose. Thanks for listening, and you can find us again soon.